and welcome to episode 136 of Single Purpose or Grit or Top Tier. Brought to you by the folks at Fun With Cars for the Hungarian Grand Prix in Hungary. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau and I am just hoping we can make it to the show without another poem. But we've had... <laughs> Several weeks off since the last round, and uh, which been... is lots of time to think about poems, right? Oh goodness, I guess it is. And uh, we now have a break after this race in Hungary, so it's sort which of which is even longer. Yes, so we're kind of in this 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 island uh, of Formula One amidst a sea of not Formula One, as it were. Ah, yes. Uh, so, and but it was a very refreshing island. An important news story since the last race and since the last show. Um, the last remnants of some old podcast that had something to do with a name uh, involving a major open-wheel race series. Um, we are now officially done with the, the no, nonsense. No, 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 hold on. May or may not have been involved. <laughs> no, we finally... And it was all we, unofficial. We finally got the, uh, the final word back from uh, the, the folks involved that uh, Fun With Cars is now officially separated from F1 Show and any other infringing kind of things. So uh, thanks to uh, everyone's patience as they uh, bear with us through logo changes and name changes and new websites and you know making sure everybody's subscribed to the right spot. So thank you for bearing with us. And it's very exciting for us that now that's, that chapter is finally over and we are you know, just moving forward with our show as it is. Right, yeah. And uh, we, we appreciate uh, all sides and the work they had to go through. I mean, by the end of it, it was like... Um, I felt that it was clear that everyone felt like, okay, this is just something we'd rather not deal with, but we had to. And uh, we've dealt with it, and yeah, we finally were able to turn a corner and uh, move on with our lives, which means that we can spend all our time just talking about it. <laughs> right. So we are done with that. We are now back into the show. Yes, so, and the show is about Formula One. We can say that. Yes. That's what we talk I about. I think we can say that. No, it is okay. Oh. We, 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 we checked. So we can say... This is a show so-and-so about Formula One racing. Because I thought from the intro that the show was about grits, but I may have missed something. There's no, no. There. That's like the secondary part because it's way better with grits. No, it's not. Oh, right. So, uh, all right, so the big whole discussion point of the last couple of races and whatever has been tires. And it's been, okay, from, from Silverstone, the whole thing was, oh, my gosh, they're, they're safe and we need to test them. And certainly right, you know, Mercedes right. can't get a benefit from testing them and whatever. Um, and then it's been, uh, I guess, the combination of wheel and tire knocking over a guy, Paul Allen, unfortunately, um, off of uh, Weber's car and, uh, you know, pit lane safety and all these various different angles. So um, there's thankfully, though, I think we can say that that uh, that sort of at least for now, the way the tire compounds are, we, you know, we've they've fixed the issue or at least have a workaround that's happy because um, there was a, I guess, successful, uh, you know, three day test um, at Silverstone. Um, you know, it's partly young drivers, partly new drivers, or partly old drivers and whatever. But uh, successful test, a lot of data collected. People understand the tires really well. Mercedes, of course, not allowed to go to that test uh, because they had done their own private test. But they did get to share in the data results. And that worked out well for them because we had a Mercedes pole position leading to a Mercedes victory in the hands of Lewis Hamilton. And it was his first one with his new team. And it came an entire season before he expected it to come. And he drove brilliantly for it. Yeah, and much sooner than um, I think the rest of us expected a, a victory to come from Mercedes when Definitely. he announced he was making the switch and looking at the then performance of the Mercedes team with uh, you know the one sort of almost freak win uh, in China for Nico Rosberg, uh, <laughs> but otherwise the you know what Michael Schumacher of all drivers was able to get out of that car or wasn't and so on. It was sort of like wow, okay, this is going to be crazy, and to see where McLaren is now and where Mercedes is, and then Hamilton to finally get this win after a couple of podiums and after Rosberg's two victories um is just is just excellent for him excellent for the team and excellent for me in predictions this week but <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit later yeah but it was a fantastic race to watch uh it you know hungry and the hungaro ring specifically brings a lot of uh again changes to what we call the typical formula one track which it's getting harder to say. You know, every track has its own unique character. The Hungaro ring sticks out just a little bit more than general because it is quite a bit tighter. The corners are slower. And so the average speeds are a little lower. The straight line speed isn't as high. And it's a lot more about mechanical grip than usual. We're not quite to monocle levels of just throw as much air force on this car, or downforce on this car as you can. But it is... Um, it's probably the second slowest track, though, behind Monaco, yeah. wouldn't it be? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's the case. And so 
you know, we had top speeds here of under 180 miles an hour. And that is actually still really fast, but it's slower than they usually go. And uh, to see how these cars perform in these different conditions is good. And so there's more mechanical grip, which is, tends to be harder on tires. Um, but then it's also slower speeds, which tends to be easier on tires. But then, then there's the whole, you know, uh, difference of how the actual track surface itself would behave against the way the tires are designed. Oh, and the temperature and the weather. And it's funny to me because we're actually, I would argue, near record lows here in Michigan. Um, and, uh, you know, well into the 90s there in Hungary. Yeah, uh, but you know, I guess there are there, there's the, the possibility of different weather between here and Hungary um, being slightly different parts of the world. But uh, you know, fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, the point is is that uh, with tires, you never know, and the tires performed here very admirably. However, that doesn't mean anything about how the tires will perform will perform in Spa and what well, teams get an advantage and what teams suffer and how. How well were the tires hold up? In well, I thought general? the tires were successful in Germany as well. You know, we didn't see certainly we haven't seen anything like Silverstone since Silverstone, and uh, you know, and that includes the big driver test uh, at Silverstone. So, right. like, if that was actually sort of fortuitous that that was where the test was to take place because that was the worst tire problems we'd seen were at that track. So, if they're gonna, if there's ever a place to have a tire test and really you know push them to the limit, uh, it seems like that would be the place. So, yes, they changed the curbs around, um, which was part of it, but also. Uh, you know, I think to be able to test tires, make sure everything is working happily, and so on. Um, so that's good. So there's there's two angles on this. Well, there's a couple angles on this whole uh, tire story that we're talking about. Um, so there's you know the safety edge of things, um, where you know with with some of the spectacular failures, and since the Silverstone race, since since Britain, we haven't seen that, which has been good. Um, but then also sort of the competitive, um, you know, who's able to use the tires and how are they going to fall off? And, uh, you know, how is that a competitive advantage to one team or another to change them? Um, which has been, you know, there's a lot more ins and outs to that. You know, we saw certainly Lotus as of the very beginning of this year with the win in Australia, um, sort of like, hold on, Lotus can really manage these tires better than other people. Huh. And Red Bull was complaining and so on. Um, and, you know, for a while, Ferrari was kind of matching Lotus and there was some good um, pace there. Um, but the Mercedes guys were able to get one lap out of them, but not much more, and right. they were falling off. So, um, you know, it seems like that has shifted the balance of power now. I mean, uh, you know, so with podium today being um, the the Mercedes, a Lotus, and a Red Bull, I mean, it tells, you know, no one's really fallen way back. Well, uh, and the those. Red Bull, third of three. Right, that's true. Um, and uh, so it's been it's been an interesting dynamic, and, you know, I guess we can debate whether that's fair or not, or, you know, whether what's fair is, oh, we built a car to what we thought the 2013 tires were going to be, and then those changed. Or if really the, the guys who win are the team that can build, um, you know, the best car to deal with whatever changes in tires, compounds and pressures and temperatures and conditions and everything. And, uh, you know, it's, so it's still Red Bull at the top of both championships. And it uh, doesn't seem like, you know, I don't have any reason to believe that, you know, Vettel's going to be way off the pace in the next rounds or whatever. But No, it, clearly I, he, he's not off the pace. But it what, what has changed is... It does seem like Mercedes has been able to claw some ground in terms of translating single lap performance into race uh, race length performance. Right. Now, instead of the tires going off, now it can be the engine that goes off in the case of Nico <laughs> Rosberg's car. Yeah. In spectacular fashion and only the second of two uh, engine failures, really, you know, dramatic engine failures we've seen this season. Yeah. Nico, uh, well, we might as well jump into uh, Nico someone I wanted to talk about a little bit. He has two race wins this season. And bravo to him for that. He's paid a, He's he's worked really hard um, throughout the what he's been in the series now since 2006. He's actually yeah. He still feels like a, a one of the new guys, veteran, but, but he's yeah, not. He, yeah. he just isn't. Yeah, and uh, he two, so two wins this year. Very cool, including um, uh, the win in Britain, which was fantastic. Um, but he's actually behind in the championship to his teammate Lewis, and uh, that actually caught me off guard quite a bit. So uh, Rosberg has had some highlights, but his uh, his racing has, has been a little bit more of a roller coaster, whereas Hamilton's has been more of a consistent stride with a nice crescendo going into the summer break. Right, which it, not in, in that different of a vein to Raikkonen v. Grosjean, where Raikkonen is, is, has extended yet again his you know Formula 1 all-time record of uh, consecutive points finishes. Absolutely. Um, and again, with a podium, again, you know, with great points, not a win, but still. Um, so, 
you know, compared to Grosjean, who's like sometimes brilliant and sometimes terrible and yeah. it's kind of uh, a, a different angle there. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, early on it was looking, uh, you know, like Hamilton uh, was more, and certainly he has had seasons like this and, and you know, different uh, spots of time where it's, where he's just very consistent and very excellent and on top of it. And, you know, two retirements in a row, I remember a couple of years ago and just all kinds of problems. And right. Just, you right. Know, once he gets frustrated, it can just really kind of get unraveled for him quickly. Absolutely. So it's good to see him, you know, whether that's because he's at the new team and he's sort of happier with his life and kind of what all is going on or whether it just happens to be, you know, I mean, I think at any race he's doing his best and it's just sometimes it works better than others. And, you know, his best hopefully gets better and those around him are, uh, uh, you know, are also pushing hard as well, of course. Uh, but to see, yeah, to see the consistency come up there, I mean, that's, of course, what it takes to uh, to really be somewhere in the championship points. And uh, and like you say, you know, okay, Grossberg, two wins, that's great, you know, for your own career and whatever. But when it comes to the championship, um, you know, he's, you know, Grossberg is just, you know, several steps back and uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't seem like he's going to be, uh, you know, that able to really claw forward um, because there's only going to be little incremental gains, I think, against his teammate. Well, let's, let's use a juxtaposition here. We've got... Uh, Nico Rosberg with 84 points uh, for the season so far. Uh, Lewis Hamilton with 124. So a nice, clean 40-point gap between the two. Pretty mm-hmm. significant difference. I would not blame that uh, much at all on the performance of Nico Rosberg. I mean, yet again today, he had a he had an engine failure that uh, caused him to ride. He's had just not as much good luck as Hamilton has. Um, compare that with Fernando Alonso with 133 points against Felipe Massa with 61. Ooh, and that's a lot. That's a lot. And this is when Massa's been doing better. If you remember, at the end of 2012, uh, Massa started turning things around, started getting his performance a little bit back on track. He's been better. He's been closer. I think he's even outqualified uh, Alonso once or twice this season. Um, and yet, look at that points parity. It's yeah. just insane. That's a huge difference there. And, and of course, for the team, um, you know, yeah, occasionally doing once is great and all to get your name in a headline. But constructors' championships, drivers' championships, and just, you know, ultimately where you are in that championship is what matters. And that is just, you know, Massa is just not delivering on that at this point. Right. And and that's, that's the thing that's just uh, really fascinating to me is uh, – Massa's performance is a little bit more connected to how he drives compared to his teammate. It just isn't quite to the same level. And, uh, you know, maybe to a certain extent it's just emotions and maybe it's just data and stuff like that and just the way Alonso operates. Maybe it is quite literally a spring to the head and it just hasn't quite been able to get it all back uh, like you hope to. I mean, let's not forget that you can still be a phenomenally good driver in Formula One and not be at the same level as other folks. Do you know what I mean? It, right. it, it's, this really is the peak of the peak. And um, with Rosberg and Hamilton, you you can't say that, in my opinion. I mean, I think you look at how many pole positions Rosberg's been able to pull off, the performances he's been able to achieve. He's been toe-for-toe uh, toe with Hamilton and outdone Hamilton in a lot of circumstances. And yet, you know, just doesn't show up in the points. Yeah, it's well, you know, yeah. That, that's ultimately what it comes down to, and I think at some point, hopefully, um, we'll be able to do a bit more of a, a deep dig into the numbers of, uh, you know, especially comparing teammates Ooh, against I each love other. Um, I, I know you do. You are the freaking captain of Excel over there, the, the good ship Microsoft Excel. Oh, it, you know, well, it's a, it's a, it's a steady steed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a fascinating thing to uh, take a deeper dive into teammates and how they perform against each other but those two just happen to stand out because you know one i would put to luck the other i would put to skill another teammate comparison test that's definitely apropos to today is weber and vettel you know weber suffered from what he felt was very unfortunate situation in qualifying yesterday um he had a curse problem and then something else happened basically he didn't run in q3 and or maybe he did one lap early. I'd have to look again. But um, he wasn't able to really go for it in Q3 like he wanted, and he was pretty upset about that. Then uh, he he started, unlike some, he started on medium compound tires instead of the soft, mm-hmm. and had what looked like at at times at least a really good performance. He ended up finishing fourth to his teammates third today. Which from starting ninth, you know, not no small feat to get that done. Good result, a good result. But I, it's just it's just fascinating. 
it's even extra fascinating now that August everyone tenth, actually sorry at the beginning well everyone knows that he uh is now leaving he's gonna go into endurance racing with porsche mm-hmm. by the way uh brilliant move in my opinion don't need to get into that but i'm just really happy for him um and I'm just curious to see how he's going to perform and behave for the rest of the year. Because um, his performance, his behavior at qualifying in Hungary was something I found totally typical of him. Getting upset at how the team be- performed for him. And then his anger turning into a pretty darn good result the next day. <laughs> he seems motivated by it almost. Yeah, well... There's, I guess there's that balance, right, of uh, keeping someone hungry and interested and yet, you know, providing them with the best car they can. Cause hungry Vettel, and hungry. Vettel Aww. also seems motivated, you know, when he comes off strings of wins and can go in and do more <laughs> wins. So, you know, it's not – it's like it, different things, I guess, work for different drivers. But ultimately, I don't, I don't feel like if, if Weber were in Vettel's shoes and were, you know, you know a three-time world champion that here we go, eh, I'm just going to drive slower now because I'm not motivated. I mean, it's – I guess there's – yeah, different ways to get into somebody's head, but at the same time, um, you know, there's all these sort of, you know, we, we joke about the uh, the things that the, some of the commentators say that are just such cliches and such overused, uh, you know, tropes in the uh, in the broadcast of, oh, it's not over till it's over, and you never know, and this guy really wants the win. It's like, <laughs> everybody really wants the win. We know that the race starts at the beginning and ends at the end. We know that no one can predict the future. Like, there's, okay, those, we all understand that. So, yeah, within understanding that, okay, all the race drivers, oh, they're really racy, and they're in this to win, and they want to pass the guy that's no, in front the, of him. The one that was really, uh, I really enjoyed today was the, oh, my God, it's clear that Kimi Raikkonen is trying in every corner of every lap. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's what they're all doing, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and if, if I were to pick anyone who's not trying every once in a while, that's usually Kimi. Remember in the Ferrari a couple years ago when he actually sort of, like, nodded off in a corner and like, like, spun nah. off the track? He was like, oh, wait, oh, and then I woke up. I was actually falling asleep at that time. So, yeah, uh, just to, to, to use, I mean, I guess, whatever. They've got to they've gotta speak for the whole event and uh, try to come up with interesting and, and uh you know, entertaining things to say uh, constantly. And that's a hard question, job. Do they have to speak for the whole event? Do well, they that's, really? That's what their bosses say. Um, uh, you know, we could bosses. go with a... Uh, Rats. <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> um, so we did have... Um, so we got... Just noticing that uh, Grosjean had a 20-second penalty added to his race time for that uh, his little incident with Button. That's in addition on, to... On top of his stop and The go. drive-through penalty that, well, see, uh, that he had his, to serve. His incident with Button, uh, to me, was a much more justified, uh, you know, trite. He, he was trying to make a move, and he just didn't completely make it successful. Um, it's definitely debatable whether... How much of that fault is really Grosjean, and does Button bear some of the responsibility? But at the end of the day, I don't have too much trouble with the fact that he was the passer. That he was the passer in the situation, and thus had the responsibility to do it cleanly. Um, however, it does bring up the uh, the penalty, the drive-through penalty he had for his pass on Massa, which you know the, the announcers in America. Um, definitely thought was a bit ridiculous and i have to completely agree it just there didn't seem to be anything wrong with that pass whatsoever yeah i haven't done a, a, a deep dig into that you know you and i just got in got done watching the race just a couple minutes ago but um i mean i have to imagine you know the, the stewards aren't aren't stupid and i don't think they're arbitrary and so on i think there may have been some camera angle from which we saw you know something or whatever that we didn't get to see outside the cars but maybe the stewards did because you have to imagine that you know these things aren't you know super arbitrary what we have seen sometimes is you know, you'll see clearly there's an incident and clearly the driver did something wrong and the punishments don't seem fair. Sometimes it's three grid spots and sometimes it's a fine and sometimes it's, you know, suspension, right. like whatever. Like, you know, so there's, there's definitely been a lot to criticize there, but especially recently with the drivers on the panels and whatever, I don't think that, um, I mean, I guess I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt before um, saying, oh, this was, they're completely in the wrong. I mean, there's probably some more to it that, uh, that we haven't seen. So I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Absolutely. But, you know, these were not, uh, there was only one ex-Formula One driver among the, the driving stewards, and that was Alan McNish. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure that he tried every corner of every lap. <laughs> and maybe that means he isn't terribly smart. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking a question here yeah and it would be really interesting if we got to see what those stewards meetings look like because you know you've you've been involved in obviously various series of racing and um you know some what seem like very official decisions 
which come about very informally. Right. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, decisions that you think would be really long and drawn out things like, oh, should we, you know, should we run this, tr this track clockwise or counterclockwise? And someone's like, eh, let's try counterclockwise. Okay, let's do it. You know, it's like, <laughs> isn't that like a really big deal? You know, and obviously some cases it is. But um, so you wonder how if they're like, you know, they looked at it and you'd think, I mean, we've seen, you know, pictures of the stewards sort of, uh, you know, the room where the race control and, and all the, you know, the directors and all this stuff sit. And there's just, you know, hundreds of TVs, maybe dozens of TVs, you know, all different angles, all different corners, onboard shots, data from both cars to see who was turning when. And then he, okay, then he was alongside him. Did he see this guy and whatever? So you have to, there's so much information that goes into this, but then you wonder, is there a judgment call between, okay, look, his wheels were on the track or off the track. That's something it doesn't take an F1 driver to determine, you know, was this guy within the rules of this was on the track? Or is it more the value judgment of like, yeah, he was off the track, but did he gain an advantage from that? Because that's not a statement of fact. That's a value judgment. Yeah. Or is this a reasonable move to make? Okay, did you give him room? Is this is this one guy not giving him room? Or the other guy, is this it's racing hard? And yeah, say, no, it's, both it's a reasonable question. And then I guess it gets down to would his pass on Moss have been successful had he not gone all four wheels off the track? Did that just happen? Was that a coincidence? Was that an irrelevant um, addition to the facts? Or was that you know, uh, uh, an important part of the situation. Eh, I don't know. I just, uh, but what we can say with a little more certainty and which I will stick to is on the surface, it definitely looked a bit uh, overreaching. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But, I, you know, we can just, I guess, maybe admit that there may be a little bit more to it uh, before we, uh, because we haven't get, gotten to see the data. And I wish we could. I mean, that'd be great if we could see oh my what, were, what were the, you know, because oh, there's so Do much data from the all these cars. spreadsheet I would make with that kind of data it would be so beautiful. It would be amazing. I would do different colors and color accents, and I would make a table, and then I have a thing that wasn't a table. Yeah. Ooh, I can make a chart. Oh. <laughs> so we talked about uh, Mercedes, of course, and Hamilton and Rosberg a bit, but uh, I'm just poking through some of these stories on the, on the computer as we're talking, and one that just came up is from um, yesterday. No, this is actually from Friday. Um, so this is after practice, before qualifying or whatever, and the headline is, this is on Autosport, Mercedes drivers rule out victory. And it's like Mercedes, <laughs> Mercedes has no chance of winning the Hungarian Grand Prix, reckon drivers Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. And it's just, you know, it's kind of funny because, you, you know, at the time, you know, people, it, it's easy to, I guess, get caught up in um, these kind of predictions and stuff like that. And to think, uh, you know, you see these uh, these stories and there's some, you know, uh, Nico Hulkenberg laps off the suggestions that he won't be at Sauber anymore. It's like, that really doesn't mean that he, you know, will or won't be at Sauber. That's just what they're saying to the media and what's going on. And in the case of the Mercedes thing, this is probably, you know, I don't think they're being cagey. I think this is like at the point they say, you know, we don't think there's going to be, you know, we don't think we're going to do well. Um, but it's just funny that uh, to sort of, to, you know, go out and they, they publish a story and they say, oh, we have no chance of winning, um, which tells you like, they're not very good at estimating their chances. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm always very careful with uh, words like that of like, oh, there's no chance of this happening. There's, it's absolutely that. It's right. like, no, it's, there's always this weird fuzzy middle ground. Well, I mean, Hamilton just, Getting back to something we, we brushed on earlier, Hamilton multiple times said, I'm not going to win a race this season. Right. You know, he anticipated growing pains with Mercedes and that he was in it for the long haul and blah, blah, blah. Right. And that, to me, seems more of a smart approach to, you know, set yourself up, you know, your own expectations, but also the expectations of the media and the whole thing. Because if the headline's halfway through, it's like, it's halfway through the season and look, no win for Mercedes and no win for Hamilton. Like... It's like, okay, if he can point back to, hey, back in February, I was saying I don't plan on winning a race. I'm, you know, no one's going to be disappointed if this doesn't right, happen. Right, right, right. But you know, to have this story, it's like on Friday to be, uh, oh, man, there's no chance of winning. It's like, well, there's a chance of anyone winning, really. Right. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I, to me, it's a little bit more of uh, smaller and larger scales of the same thing. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just being humble, and, uh, and they're saying, based on what we see right now, we think other people are going to be stronger doesn't mean they're not going to try to win and uh, hey that's the best way to be wrong and it's the smart way to be wrong you know it's like oh yeah we said we didn't ring in oh we won but if they were like on friday it's like based on today's practice we are gonna win this is amazing you know that that would be a bit boisterous right and and the the similar headlines after practice were you know red bull surprise or vettel surprised by red bull dominance is like oh i'm surprised how good this car is but what was what was funny was just literally how surprised um, Hamilton was the moment after taking pole yeah, position. Yeah, not PR surprise, actually surprise. Right. As in, you know, they told him on pole, that's P1, Lewis, and he's like, pole? pole? Like, obviously he knows P1 is pole, <laughs> but he's just like, wait, seriously? I'm not P21? or P having a laugh? Right, it's just like, oh, actual P1, like, huh, hmm. 
and uh, and then in the, in the whole podium interview, he wasn't even like happy about it, just so oh, much no. as like stunned by it, as in like, wait, really? Yeah. I'm, still, I'm on pole. You, uh, I, I'm in <laughs> okay, the guys, Mercedes. Jokes and, over. And that's Vettel over there, and he's not on pole, but I am on. It was yeah, it's sort of funny. And then well, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because in qualifying, he's like, I didn't even think it was that good of a lap. And right. it's so funny because immediately afterward, Vettel was like, I thought my lap was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, screw you then. Yeah. Uh, it's good times. And uh, and then, you know, at, apparently after the uh, after qualifying, you know, as, as Lewis said, after winning the race, it's like, oh, we really went back after that and looked at a bunch of data and did our homework and, um, you know, whatever, came up with the strategy and, and were able to make it work yeah. and the, the driving and everything too well, to important. make it happen. You got to do your multiple uh, multiplication, you know, three times five is 15. Three times nine is twenty-seven. You know those kind of things. By the way, did you know that if you add the two different numbers, like uh, twenty-seven, thirty-six, forty-five, fifty-four, it always adds to nine for the first thing. The mm-hmm. multiples of nine. I did know that. Yeah, yes. yeah, and that kind of, that's multiplication. Doing your homework nets you that kind of knowledge, there's, and that's the kind of thing that uh, Lewis Hamilton and their team did. There are times hanging out with you that I forget that you are the son of a math teacher. <laughs> this is not one of those times. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that is true. I am the uh, nines. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good times. So, yeah, uh, so the uh, most tense part of the race for me, and, uh, you know, tense being a good thing, exciting part of the race me was um the race that involved no passing at all it was between Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel towards the end of the race for second place yes and I have to say Formula One because of Vettel mostly is becoming really fascinating to watch the race for second being second in the championship or second in the race or whatever yeah it's a lot a lot closer usually than than the actual whoever's out in front right uh, you know out really on their own exactly and if I may I would like to start this with a poem. Oh, goodness. There it is. And uh, <clears throat> in addition, uh, this poem specifically is in honor of Colin Sato. Um, it is a haiku. 27 minutes. That's how far we made it, folks. Oh, well. Raikkonen Vettel. We see many pass attempts. Raikkonen Vettel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> That is five seven. I'll I'll bring my five, uh, I'll five, bring my bongos for next time. And thing and then you ever realize with haikus, like I spend very little time appreciating the like beauty of the poem, and all the time just counting the syllables. <laughs> You're like, oh, is that actually a haiku? Well, that is. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah. it's a weird art form in that way. Um, okay, well, that thank you for opening the conversation. Does that or does that not sum up their their race in the last 10 laps um i suppose that it does yes see in a certain structured amount of syllables it's a poem with a purpose now it was actually really nice though because you and i included everyone thought that uh vettel was going to get by raikkonen no problem and there was less than a second separating the two with 10 laps to go and yet, last lap, there they were, less than a second apart, still going after the same thing. We saw locked up tires. We saw, we saw really close to passes. We saw nice aggressive blocking, but we never saw anything that was foul play. Uh, Vettel argued foul play with one pass, but you know, even Vettel said afterwards, like, ah, it was the heat of the moment. And you know, I completely get that, and completely. In the heat of the moment, you're like, ah, oh, come on. And then afterwards, like, yeah, all right, that was fair. Yeah, but I guess, so certainly uh, there has to be some amount of yelling and swearing and who knows what exactly, you know, in, in, in the driver's helmet, you know, to himself or sort of out loud. Um, but, you know, to get on the radio, oh, we need to talk, tell Charlie about that, you know, about like, there was, he didn't give me room, you know, then like, okay, Vettel, we'll tell Charlie. Like, does strike well, <laughs> me as a little bit. <laughs> That's not exactly, okay, Vettel, okay. It's like, it does strike me as a bit <laughs> kindergarten to, uh, you know. I don't know, I, I think... In this sport, at this level, this high, every little thing being scrutinized, especially uh, Vettel had to be as aware as anyone else. Like, well, they gave Grosjean a penalty for passing someone. Ah, Look over there. The thing with the thing. (laughs) The thing with the thing. Not always what gets you. It is. So, all right. Well, fair enough. Um, So, you know, as a subtext of this whole, uh, you know, this whole battle, uh, which was, as you say, just lots of really, you know, lap after lap of kind of cool, clean racing. And, you know, throughout the course of the lap, you know, Vettel would have DRS at the beginning uh, as they go across, start, finish. And, uh, you know, he would 
uh, save up his courage to use that to get right up behind Raikkonen, um, get pretty close in the first sector and kind of but about halfway through the, the, the lap, the dynamic change in the Lotus was just much faster through the last sector it and then back second, onto there. Sector three advantage, so it seemed. There's only there's two DRS zones, the front straight and then this sort of I I seem I think sort of useless second DRS zone that's after turn one on this little it's a bit of a got a little bit of a kink to it, but basically a straight. Um which you know, there's just there's not like another passing opportunity or another straight to really to have DRS really be helpful. So um, pretty much every lap, it was about the same balance, and yet um, you know, Raikkonen still had to push hard enough to hold Battle behind him, you know, including the DRS advantage that he had, and and maintain his own race and his car, tires and car and whatever. And Vettel had to push every time. So as I was saying, the the subtext of that whole thing is um, next year, and. Is Raikkonen yeah. going to drive then? Gonna, are they going to be teammates next year? Or, you know, how, how is this, you know, shaping up and who's, who's watching and so on? And, of course, everyone's watching the whole thing because it's a good, you know, battle on track. But, um, you know, is this, uh, you know, the, the start of, you know, all these, these guys in the, you know, friendly comp- competition and, and, you know, who can outdrive the other one? And if the cars were the same, you know, how would they stack right, up and right. so on? Um, which, which raises some interesting points because as it has been uh, reported, um, the the second seat, which of course Mark Webber is vacating, as you mentioned, um, is either going to go to Kimi Raikkonen or Daniel Ricciardo. Right. Raikkonen, of course, uh, from Lotus and formerly of Ferrari and formerly of McLaren and so on. You know, and has, Sauber. Has, has made his has made his way around in various places, um, but never by way and of Red he Bull. He drove Formula Renault. So it's Formula Renault, Sauber, McLaren, Ferrari, WRC. Freaking NASCAR, like, like jet skis, uh, yeah, and then the, snowmobiles, right? Right, and then yes, Lotus. Yes. Um, what were we talking about? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, but either way, and then and then Daniel Ricciardo, on the other hand, who has you know come up the series, up the ladder through the Red Bull driver whole program, young driver program, and so on. So what I think Red Bull is faced with now is a combination of a sporting decision, which is what's going to get us the best results, um, and I guess. Because they've got Vettel still on their payroll, and, and he, you know, is not showing signs of slowing down. Um, it's not like they, you know, this is not a team that's like struggling to find some good results. They're sort of like, we want to keep Vettel happy. He's doing really well. We don't want the, you know, everyone to get super bored with the sport. But if they're super bored because we're winning all the time, that's not so bad. Yeah. Um, but all, so then, the, the, for the second there driver, is, you then, can look back and not too, you know, far into history at all and see that Ferrari was plenty happy with Schumacher between two thousand and two thousand four. Sure. Through two thousand four. So the question they have to look at is, and it's you know, there's been some reporting. Oh, this, is it breaking in in the salary and whatever? And that's I really don't think this is about money um, so much about you know about how much money they're going to pay the driver. So if I feel like if they hire Raikkonen, they've made the decision that. Um, that's going to be the right combination to sort of um, keep both of them motivated and that, you know, it, it remains to be seen, though, if, if it would be a really even, like, we're going to start, you know, everyone starts the championship with zero points and whoever has more, that's our guy, or if it really still is the Sebastian Vettel show and Raikkonen is the new guy, and if it comes down to where, you know, some guy's got to win out or lose out on strategy, oh, look, Vettel happens to win out or on car parts or on testing or whatever. Well, this, I think, is actually a much bigger conversation to have because uh, we could we could talk about this topic alone for for a long time. Let's do that. Um, <laughs> we should totally do that. But I'll just say flatly and cut off a lot of the. I I think Raikkonen's better choice over Ricardo from a purely team standpoint. But what you're getting is the bigger the Red Bull marketing decision as much as anything is like we've come up with this thing. And this very elaborate driving training program, and it's not so much training as it is funding for drivers they think have promise. Um, yeah, driver development. What does it take to develop? Money. Yeah, exactly. Um, is that all for naught? And at this, you know, my instant answer to that is no, because you got Vettel. And look, time will pass, and if you guys stick with this, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a time when you need someone else. The other thing I will say is it is, to me, a bit ridiculous that Red Bull has two F1 teams, effectively, and uh, a junior and a senior F1 team. To me, that is a bit rich. Right on. But I mean, I guess their whole thing is, uh, especially after firing both drivers from last year from STR, um, to to then come they back. They weren't extreme enough. 
Right. They weren't extreme, extreme, to the extreme. So, ah. you know, if, if you say, okay, last time, the, you know, Red Bull had some, you know, they, Vettel, of course, you know, made his way up the, the ladder and has done astonishingly well. I mean, you know, he's breaking records and is, a, you know, doing his thing and, and really, you know, is the, you know, the guy for the current generation of Formula One. Um, there's no, there's no doubting that. But then the question is, um, is, so is Red Bull just the, like, you know, Sebastian Vettel support company or is Red Bull looking uh, as they sort of are, are showing themselves and trying to show themselves as, okay, we can develop talent and we can find people and, you know, through these different searches and different ways of scouting people and finding them and supporting the right people and they make smart picks and whatever. So yes, they made a great pick in, in getting behind Sebastian Vettel and sorting that out and that's good. But it's like, okay, they got two other guys up to Formula One. Um, and then, of course, Mark Webber kind of came in sideways anyway, just from being, you know, part well, of Well, Mark Webber was part of the Jaguar Part of team. Jaguar and whatnot, yeah. but it wasn't like, he wasn't Red Bull, he wasn't extreme! You know, he was oh, just my. Mark Webber. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Mark Webber, you being so Mark so Webber. So, the question is, that if, if every time, you know, you get up the series, you get into Formula One through STR, and then you either get fired, or, I mean, so far, that, or you maybe you, you stay with STR, then yes, okay, you have made it to F1, um, but if they hire Raikkonen, then that's that, I think that's less confidence in the driver per development program. Saying if they hire Daniel Ricciardo, that is okay. This is the ladder you can follow. You can get to the top level in the top team, and you know you'll get the full might of Red Bull resources behind you. And I'm not sure that overall, you know, is um, I mean this year and certainly obviously for the last three years, um, there's no real threat to uh, Red Bull's manufacturer or constructors championship, um, you know, abilities. And would that be any different with... I think the biggest threat to that, as much as anything, would be, like, a bad fire at the factory. Like, natural disasters right up there with the challenges that they would have to deal with. Like, Yeah. Is it, like, how many times have they smited God recently? Maybe they should keep tabs on that, perhaps. More so than actual rivals not only beating them occasionally, but beating them enough to really make a dent in constructor's standings. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, as a constructor... Wouldn't it make more sense for them to put Daniel Ricardo to sort of keep faith in their in their whole system and really show, hey, look, we're bringing people up to the next level. And Daniel Ricardo could really be part of the next generation. I mean, in three, four, five years, you know, how how motivated will Kimi Räikkönen be? How competitive yeah, okay, will he be? Okay, 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 okay. And Ricardo, you know, still at the beginning of his career. All right, but I'm sorry, but what what do they have in gain? What do they have to gain in keeping the faith? Because look, they're offering young drivers lots of funding so as long as they have interest in keeping the funding going they will have drivers that are interested in getting the funding you know what i mean like it's not like the program is going to be like well if i can't get the senior seat then i'm not doing this you know what i'm saying like they will never have a uh, a shortage in drivers that want to be funded by them to move up to the ranks that won't happen so in my in my opinion it's pretty simple like okay who's the best driver available for this seat and right now Today, I I would argue that it's Raikkonen. Yeah, um, but either way, it seems like they can win the constructors' championship. And so, if they can keep Vettel happier by not pushing his buttons so much with a with a super competitive teammate and just have it be Vettel is number one, Ricardo is number two, that might be a happier team dynamic. And you you know they'd still be sharing data and doing the best really kind of team thing moving forward, rather than having two potential number ones and the conflicts and. You know, some, yeah, insert I mean, some, I, it, some, something about bulls and horns and, I don't know, something in there. <laughs> well, okay. Um, you're the I, word guy. I don't know. I am the word guy, and bulls and horns are two of them. Back to the more immediate thing, which was the two of them actually racing each other. I actually want to talk about that just a little bit more, mostly because I had such a brilliant poem about it. What I loved about that racing is Formula One driving is so often extremely clinical. Do you know what I mean? To see a driver push hard and make mistakes is really quite rare. And what I loved about uh, what I loved about these two uh, uh, competing against each other at Hungary was Raikkonen was obviously losing the rear end a little bit, understanding a little bit here, locking up on entry, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. You know, being real, being uh, aggressive and thinking really hard about where he should place the car. Vettel would make serious attempts to pass and end up losing ground as a result. You know what I mean? This wasn't a, oh, I'm going to pass, so it didn't quite work, I'm still right behind you. Oh, I'm going to pass, it didn't we'll quite work, you know, constantly showing a nose. It was making an attempt, losing momentum, backing off by half a second, three quarters of a second because of a mistake. It was racing. It was like, it, it's like, um, it's like watching, uh, 
it's like watching sports at the high school level. You know what I mean? Or primary school level, I'll say. There's mistakes, but it's still really exciting. They're trying really hard, but it's not all perfect looking because they haven't all practiced it to a T. You yeah, know, it's like watching it GP2 out. or GP3 or Indy Lights or whatever. Yeah, it's like exactly. these people are trying to prove themselves and they have and to make a difference. Some, yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. And that was what was so great for me to see was it was clear that so much effort was being placed on both of their parts that uh, that they, they were willing to make, to make mistakes to do that. And you have to push – Drivers at that level, you have to push them as far as they were pushed to get to that. But that's what's great. When you see drivers that good, these are both world champions, both very very highly regarded. And they were bombing around making mistakes. That That's great. To me, that's really hard to beat in terms of watching a competition like that. So the, the more mistakes, the better the driving as far as you're concerned. The more mistakes that two extremely talented drivers make – shows excellent racing in my opinion fair enough yeah it was it was certainly some good racing so uh you know i, I will say if if um Raikkonen does end up with uh you know the the red bull um drive next year that does shake up the rest of the driver's market in very interesting ways because True. when you've got an opening at the top you know we saw this from the past uh, season you know the biggest change like the, the biggest um drive i guess was you know sergio perez moving to mclaren um, which you know would, you would have thought would have been a top team, but um, and then and may one day be you know, again. but that opens up the Sauber drive and that opens up whatever you know. There's always this ripple effect, but when it's midway through the field, it's not nearly as exciting. But when there is an opening at the top team, you know, the three-time reigning and probably four-time in a row constructors' championship and yeah. so on winner, um, that that's you know a much more interesting story because then if Kimi goes there, then who gets the Lotus drive and then who gets his drive and so on and so on. So it could be a really interesting shakeup. If it's Daniel Ricciardo, then that means, okay, someone else gets the STR drive. That's not, again, not as exciting of a story and, and so on. But that is, you know, it is something I'm kind of looking forward to as we are, you know, just past halfway in the season now and moving forward to the, uh, and we've got the summer break and then sort of the second. Uh, yeah. Big God, it's, it's, it's almost as if we could have an entire podcast about this subject alone. I, I, I'm crazy. I'm sorry to even say that. I know that's crazy, Paul. Yeah, we're never in the same place at the same time very long. So no, who knows? you and I, there's no chance that this will be a win this week. No, chance. no, it will not happen. Oh boy, just I'm just 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 gonna throw it out there: fail twenty two, fail twenty two, fail twenty two, fail. Well, there's no 22. doubt about it. Yeah, the doubts, there's none. Yeah, we don't because know what that no was. Doubt about that. that sweet uh, radio no call to Vettel it. when it's like 22 fail, and we're like, oh man, I was really hoping his car was going to explode or something because uh, you know, knowing that you had Vettel on pole position for uh, for predictions <laughs> or on, on race for a race win, I was like, oh, fail 22, that's got to mean like something terrible is going to happen. Fail 22, his engine's about to explode. And it was like fail 22, and then he just kept driving and doing his thing. So yeah, uh, like... I guess the failed the, the 22 guy was like really keen to like tell Vettel the 22 no, fail. I, the guy was probably playing a flight simulator and bumped the radio and was like, ah, fail 22, because he had the F-22 Raptor at the time. That's probably what it is, actually. Most likely. Um, Yeah. So we were talking about stuff? We were. um, Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I heard that a lot over and over and over. There's no doubt about that. And I don't need to hear that one anymore, ever again. I'm glad we've cleared that up i thought there maybe you may have wanted to hear that some more so now that i know that you don't i'll uh, do my best to mute it whenever david hobbs is on tv i would say that it's fair to, i would say that it's fair to say that enough words by us have been said right say that's part of the david hobbs you? drinking game which the title of the drinking game by the way <laughs> you'll be drunk there's no doubt about it <laughs> listener feedback of course, it is the best part of the show for us because we get to talk about you, and you guys are great. And I have to say that's especially true for uh, the nice chunk of you guys that have checked out our brand new YouTube channel. It is now FW Cars, and it actually has a shortened and, I will dare I say, improved version of our video of the Port Imperial Street Circuit, which is going to be the track that makes up the uh, Grand Prix of America GP, which starts next year. Oh, you had it right until you had a GP to the end of it. That's, well, that's so the, hard to get the, the title. The GP of GP, America sauce. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a new version of the video we already put together. But, you know, 
we did a little things. We tightened it up. We did a thing. It'll be even more exciting when we have some new content there. But the point is there's not going to be any content at the old, whatever that show was called, uh, YouTube channel. It is all good, all about FW Cars. So thank you for bearing with us on that. Yes. And uh, as uh, always, as, oh God, that's the thing I like to say over and over, our Facebook page, Hop in Place as usual. And I have to give credit to uh, one particular person that probably doesn't get as much credit as they deserve. His name is uh, Gim Law. Um, he put what is really a fascinating video. Uh, um, this is what you do in an F1 car during the first test lap is the name of it. It's well, a I had, little video. I, I had to dust off the uh, Fun With Cars Facebook page, as, as, which is exactly what I, what I wrote on there. Because it had been, you know, we had this long break. Yeah. Um, you know, we did have the, the video from your office, uh, from, uh, you know, our, our boy, Finger Boy Vettel. Yes. Um, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, there's like, a, you know, several weeks and there was some test stuff and whatever. But, you know, it just gotten very quiet. And the same thing on Twitter and stuff as well. So I just kind of had to like... You know, it was on Thursday before the race weekend started. Kind of just fire things back up and uh, you know get back into it. So um, yeah, I just I came across that video on Jalopnik and I thought it was really pretty cool. Um, certainly more of a tech nerdy kind of a thing, but I think uh, you know a couple people got into it. And uh, well, I guess nine people thought liked it enough to actually click like on it. So uh, there you have it. I I mean it's uh, it's a very cool thing. And to me, Formula One is a very nerdy techy place. At the end of the day. And so when you get insights into how they get nerdy and techy, to me that's great. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So that was that was uh, that was a cool video. I'm glad to uh, see that people, uh, a couple people dug it anyway. And um, we had uh, the, a lot of the usual cast of characters on the uh, Facebook page. Um, not a lot of live, uh, you know, conversations today, but uh, but some. Um, certainly some discussion on the Grosjean uh, penalties. Um, Andy Barnes started a uh, conversation on that, which had yeah. uh, uh, the, a lot of the regulars weighing in. Um, the, uh, uh, the, you know, we had this, uh, Neil Poppin posted this video of uh, Honda recreating a Senna lap of Suzuka. Did you see this? They had speakers all the way around the track and, uh, and, and lights, and they simulated where the car was from some old telemetry data, uh, what the sound would be, and, and what, you know, what it would look like if you were watching Senna going around the track. So talk that's about nerding great. out. That one, uh, yeah, even, that's even more. There. And uh, so that had, did actually get posted three different times uh, from different people because uh, Facebook has really gotten awkward. And there was also some conversations about this, how what you can see on the mobile site and how, you know, everybody uses Facebook from their phones, but you can't really get at the Fun With Cars page on your phone. It's like a huge pain and it's it's nonsense. So either way, we appreciate people bearing with us. Hopefully the whole Facebook situation gets better and uh, it'll be a little bit clearer as to who's doing what. But in the meantime... Um, thanks to uh, to Neil and uh, Neil Popham, Colin Sato, and uh, Ryoji Ikatura Itakura uh, for posting that because um, uh, that's you know always fun to have other people uh, sending information and uh, sharing those things with people. Oh, and also a, a, a lovely reminder from the Kilt Junior on uh, the, the purity of enjoying Formula One, so much so that it makes you you know. Just drool all over drool yourself. Drool everywhere. Which I think Kilt Sr. may do as well when he's watching a Grand Prix. I've seen that man watch a Grand Prix, and it's not that different. <laughs> that is true. You have seen that in purpose. I, person, I have not had the privilege. Yeah, the uh, the apple did not fall terribly far from that particular tree. Um, and also, again, a very, very little bit, but uh, hopefully uh, for the next couple of races we can get some more activity on hash FW cars on Twitter. Uh, we did have Andy Barnes, Ryan Higgins over there, and um, also uh, Ben and... Uh, uh, Harry Altonen uh, on Twitter. Um, right, you know. and, of, and of course, I think what Jim's trying to say is make sure your kids do that because it's the it's kind of like the children's thing. For... I mean, Gregor probably knows about Twitter, to be honest. You know, he's he's all of, you know, a few months old now. So yeah, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, probably... he's probably hashtagging the shite out of that bad boy. <laughs> As they say. <laughs> Um, but so we've got, you know, a couple, uh, certainly now, uh, down to the end of the season, um, the timing just gets excellent for us. I mean, circuit of the Americas, of course, being only one time zone away from us here and then Brazil being one time zone in the other direction. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, and I know it's far and blah, blah, blah. I, we can't rule out going again. No, we, we, we cannot make a press release that says there's no chance of us going <laughs> to that race because as always there is a, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, so we haven't been able to watch one live, partly with just our own schedules, and you know these these European ones come on at like you know seven thirty, eight thirty in the morning. Well, I mean, it's just gotten ridiculous. You and I both having jobs and things; it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So either way, uh, the you know the, the social media and stuff should get a bit more interactive as we can get some more videos put together, more watching races live and things like that. And uh, we strive to do so. But we always thank you for uh, 
sending us emails, uh, posting on Facebook, posting and tweeting at us and whatnot. And uh, to become part of the uh, immortal listener feedback uh, section of the show, you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com or you can just go to funwithcars.com and there are links to all of our various social media things from there, including the shiny new YouTube channel. There's no doubt about it. I am excited about this part. This is predictions, ladies and gentlemen. And as I have alluded to like 16 <laughs> times throughout the course of the show already, uh, I, I finally have gotten a good result. I have gotten, I, have, I, I can't say gotten, I mean, I've, I've been the one predicting. Uh, I have not done very well at predictions so far this year. You I think had, I was in. You had a bad incident. Don't, don't, I don't had like be several, too hard on yourself uh, here. I was in the, the triple digits in terms of placement in the predictions game for a little while, but. To uh, recap uh, Hungary and the results there. I'll put another cap on that bad boy. Because it's capped, and we're going to recap it. Um, we had um, – so I was at the top of the thing, man, as uh, zero points. I predicted Hamilton-Hamilton, and that turned out to be correct. Uh, there were also um, – Yeah, it just goes to show, uh, kids, that uh, there are losers and there are cheaters. I, yeah. I guess I'm a loser because <laughs> I didn't cheat. No, okay. All right. All right. Well, seven, I won't okay. joke for a couple seconds, and I will tell you quite honestly, congratulations. Very good job on predicting what you did. I think you you uh, took a little bit more of a risk here because Mercedes is certainly less of a consistent performer, and uh, you pulled it off. Great well, job. Either that or it's like the stopped clock being right twice a day. Like I could just keep saying <laughs> Hamilton, Hamilton, and eventually – because this was you know, his first win, but that's what I thought it would be. So seven other people also got that right. So shout out to Reese Milford, Chris Green, Sean Scanlon, Lori Jordan, Jonathan Custer, Cliff Cattell, and Eleanor Taylor. Oh, and uh, you, you bring that up. I want to give a, uh, a, a serious uh, – sorry about that, man – to uh, James Payne. He went, I believe, Weber Weber. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That did not go well. There was the qualifying woes we talked about earlier. And then the race. Hey, solid performance from the race, but it just couldn't make up for uh, the other people that usually do well continuing to do well. Right. With predictions um, back near the pointy end of the grid, then we had several people getting one point with Hamilton Reagan in predictions and... Um, and then a couple of Vettel, Raikkonen, you know, and various other permutations. But Damien, our statistical model, whoever just thinks whatever happened last week is going to happen again, um, went silly, for Hamilton, Vettel, which, of course, is a two-point spread. Correct for Hamilton, but two, two positions off for Vettel for the win. So, um, but that even, even that, getting two points um, puts you at 19th place or lower. So we had a lot of people up near the top. Right. And then you go back to the next page. Um, there was one sole person who went Rosberg-Hamilton. That was Jaffa Graves. Uh, but then behind him, then it's uh, you uh, with Vettel-Vettel and then a lot of other folks. There's basically a whole page of Vettel-Vettel predictors. Yeah. In uh, 43rd place and beyond. Which, you know, didn't quite work out for us. But at the same time, man, I just that's the thing with the Vettel-Vettel prediction. Even when it goes bad, it's actually still pretty good. Yeah, you, you know, but the fact, the guy that's, you know, if you were to predict Vettel-Vettel through for the entirety of the season, um, based on the fact that, um, you know, I guess the only difference between that and the actual championship results would be, you know, the, the difference in the way the scoring works out, how many points you get for different places. But basically, if you were to predict the guy who ends up winning the whole season, you'd probably win predictions as well. Um, just because it's like, if you're not close, you know, you're not at the top every once in a while, it's wrong. It goes wrong. But in general, it goes more right than it goes wrong. Um, so yeah, we had, uh, another great field of, uh, of participants in the, uh, predictions game here. Um, but where that puts us overall, uh, is, not yet on my screen, but it's getting there, um, <laughs> is that you, Robin Warner, are yes. still in first place with 31 points, nine points ahead of second place, Ryan Higgins. So, yes, yes. Uh, again, you know, I, I may have a brilliant result every once in a while, but you, uh, just overall points, are uh, quite the stronger teammate because um, you go all the way through page one and you see all kinds of other brilliant people, um, and then you have to go into page two, 49th place, you see Damien, the statistical model, with 90 points, and then... Uh, I am then uh, a, a space behind there um, with uh, 91 points in 51st place at the moment. Well, which is good for me because I was in like 80th something for a while and uh, done done poorly. So hey, moving on up, this is this is this is you're going straight to the top. This is why I was really hoping that fail 22 fail was like <laughs> Im imminent heat death yes. of the engine because that would have been finally big. You know, a lot of people were going Vettel. I could have made up some big points. I did not. Um, so either way, I, I feel good that I'm at least almost as smart as a Excel spreadsheet, um, well, and I'm one point behind Damien, and it is time to figure out how I'm going to plot my revenge and get 
better than Damien. Well, let me first tell you how I'm going to continue to be uh, steadfast and indeed bold, uh, despite the uh, miserable performance he had this weekend. I am, believe it or not, going to put Sebastian Vettel on pole for the Belgium Grand Prix in a month's time. At the Francochamps circuit, as it's known. As it is known by some of the uh, Belgian friends of ours. And I think he's going to go ahead and win that race. I'm going Vettel Vettel for this one. And on top of that, I'm going to tell you why. Spa is the classic track that really wrestles out a driver's talents and the car's ability. It's 4.4 miles. It's got big mid-speed mid and high-speed sweeping corners. It's got tight stuff. It really has it all. And I think if you look at complete package, you just cannot deny uh, the ability of the Red Bull car. And I think I'll go even farther than that. I think there are going to be tracks coming up in the not-too-distant future that don't actually go to the Red Bull strength. So you're just really a fan of Sebastian Vettel's complete package. Well, he is also the only driver that uh, has been in my office. Well, fair enough. Um, so most recent winner at uh, at the uh, Spot Fergusham circuit, Jensen Button for McLaren. 20, uh, I'll, I'll put it winner. down for you right now. Jensen um, Button. Before that was Vettel. Before that, Hamilton. But actually, you know, Raikkonen uh, won here in 04, 05, 07, and 09 mm-hmm. with both McLaren and Ferrari. So, yes. I, you know, I don't know. None of this really – Felipe Massa won in 2008. Well, good for him. He's not going to do that again, though. <laughs> um, Michael Schumacher, the most winningest – most winningest. Yes, that's the one. Hey. Uh, driver for the Belgian Grand Prix with six times he won that race. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Vettel, Vettel. So you went Vettel for both, right? That's right. I wasn't even listening because I just knew you were going to do that because you're freaking <laughs> predictable. <laughs> Your predictions themselves are predictable. And and you know what? How does that work? Works okay. Yeah, Mr. Number predictable One. Predictable predictions. Yeah. Um, so I guess the if if I I guess if I also go Vettel Vettel, then you know if this if the ship sinks, it's, it's you know we sink together. Um, I which I mean if if that were ever actually the case, I imagine you and I would have a good time on a sinking ship. We we'd make it work for us. Yeah, it probably would uh, would be a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I really would like to think that the, you know, Ferrari and, you know, by virtue then Alonso, uh, are going to come back and do something really good, but I don't think it's, it's not, well, can it's I tell not you, that yet. I almost feel like this isn't even fair to me, but I just, you're such a good friend. I want to tell you this. I hear rumors that Nico Hulkenberg is going to be replaced by, uh, Karthi Kahn. And uh, Karth Kane's going to have a point to prove. And I think he's going to go stonking well. You know who does well at this track? Marcus Winkelhock. <laughs> I'm going to – he goes well here. I'm telling you, man, Narain's going to come in and go, boom! No, it's going to be – what are the uh, – whatever, the Russian, new Russian guy. No, um, it would actually be really cool to see Weber win one this year on uh, on his way out, you know, with after having a nose he, for Porsche. He, uh, and I, I'd say there's a reasonable chance he'll do it, and he will completely blow us away when he does it. He will be unexpected. It's not going to be like, oh, this is the one that we thought Weber. No, it'll just fluke something, force of nature. He'll make it happen somehow. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there is there is always the, the Reaganin prediction, and I guess if i got to go bold, and i got to think that, you know, a bunch of people are going to go for Vettel, and then Vettel's going to go wrong because he's going to, like, crash with Jensen Button or something crazy, which, you know, has happened. Spa. Crazy stuff happened yeah, at Spa. Yeah, that's true. Um, and was and poor poor Vettel, just a young kid, couldn't, couldn't, keep his, uh, couldn't keep his stuff together. Oh, boy. I'm making a prediction I don't think I've ever made You're before. You're making a prediction slower than you've ever Shut made up, before. Shut up, dude. I just made it. It's on the thing. Um, Hamilton Raikkonen. Ooh. Yeah, see, my prediction made you go, ooh. Well, most of your predictions made you go, it's like, ooh, that's so wrong. <laughs> but we don't know yet if how wrong it's going to be. That is true. You know, our, our knowingness of the future has been pretty poor. Well, except yours in general and mine today. <laughs> well, point is okay. If, okay so the, the key though for our dear listeners out there is that there's a long long time between now and spa it's like a month that we have no formula one and whatnot we will try to remind you as it gets closer but the safest thing to do is to go to the predictions page right now which 
uh, is just facebook.com slash fwcars. Right there near the top of the screen, there's the predictions icon, which shows you the Fun With Cars logo, not the F1 Show logo. Thank you very much, Neil. Um, yes. And click on that. Make a prediction now. You always have the opportunity to change it if your tastes change or your crystal ball reads something different or whatever between now and Friday practice for Belgium. Right. But if you don't predict now and then you wait until it's like, oh, wait, it's Saturday and it's qualifying and I, oh, I forgot to predict, then that is a shame because then that puts like Max Chilton for pole and that's never going to work. So, um, uh, you know, stop by soon. Make the prediction, and if you want to, you can change it later. You and I, we cannot change it later. We, what we say we're done. is set in bits, as it were, in the, uh, on the podcast, out in the world, and uh, in everyone's ears. But everyone else, the uh, participants, have the advantage of being able to change their predictions as things get forward. So please don't forget to do that, because uh, it would suck if you're doing really well if you then forget, because it's a bang month. We had three weeks off. Now we got the, you know, four weeks. So uh, I'm going to, you know, just imagine how big my beard is going to be by the time <laughs> that the, the, the Francochamps race comes around. I'm, I'm going to call it that. I don't think it'll be that much bigger. Well, it's gotten, it's gotten kind of ridiculous uh, at this point. It's so, full. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You're, you're welcome. Thank you. So visit funwithcars.com. Click on Facebook. Click on predictions. Keep in touch with us on all this stuff. And, um, you know, your life will be better because of it. I agree. Is there are a doubt you? about that? What, are you saying that there's a doubt about Listen, that? Listen, okay, I think, this is what I think, I think you and I should have a continued a long uh, conversation about this over some tasty Hungarian bits offline. That's what I think. All right, well, thank you, as always, for listening, folks. Um, do, t- do keep in touch. Feedback at funwithcars.com. Just because we're not necessarily podcasting all the time, we are still around and trying to keep up with what's going on uh, for this month summer break. And uh, we hope that you will stick with us in doing so on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, blah, 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 blah. So thanks, as always, for listening. Keep in touch. You'll hear from us in a while. And let's sign out for now. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. There's no doubt about it. Was that a haiku?